Good morning. It is so good to be here with you guys and to, and to witness this. Um, <clears throat> man, I have great memories of uh, being here with you uh, many, many years and seeing many children baptized and, and knowing what's going on with that, that, that these young children are inviting Christ in their lives and they're, they're building uh, their lives on what we're going to talk about this morning, having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I would just remind you as, as parents, and, and many of you have children that have already grown up and, and moved on, it really does move quickly. And um, I uh, am starting to realize that myself. Uh, I've been doing college ministry now, working with Campus Outreach for 28 years, and uh, never thought I would uh, be in, in college ministry for so long that uh, my kids are actually older now than some of the college kids I'm ministering to. And um, it's, uh, it's kind of a sobering thought. It seems like yesterday that I was standing up in the front of a group like this and, and uh, had my children in front of me. As, as a matter of fact, it brought a specific little experience uh, for me. I, I love the little boys over here climbing and, you know, laying around. And, you know, and, and Dave says it's like they're in support of their brother here and it's like yeah they're you know coloring in support of their brother and and uh just having a good time up here and I, I remember one time I was uh, I was at a missionary thing as uh, th- this church who was supporting us and and uh, they had all their missionaries together and they asked me to stand up and share and when I did I had my family with them and they were all little children and and, uh, and when I stood up to share all three of them walked up there and stood by me as I was sharing it was real sweet of course, nobody paid any attention to anything I had to say for the rest of the time. And I picked up one of my children who was really, really small and uh, still in diapers, as a matter of fact. And uh, so as I was speaking, uh, had uh, uh, him in my, my arm, and I, I, I noticed that uh, everybody was looking at him and looking at my arm. And, uh, and I didn't realize what was going on, but uh, we had a poopy diaper all over Daddy's suit. And, uh, and I haven't washed it to this day, so I come to it and I'm just going so precious to me. Time moves on. Um, and if I, could, if I could just say for any of us, man, to point our children towards the Lord Jesus Christ, you can do no more important thing. But parents, even as we think about that this morning in the passage that we're about to look at, there's nothing more important than you can do for your own life than to point yourself towards having communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to begin this morning, and let me just say that I consider it such a privilege to be here. Uh, my family, for many of you, I, I don't know you, you don't know me. We lived here for five years and got the campus outreach ministry going here, and, and then we moved on to Memphis. But uh, Cape Bible Chapel has always been such a home and a family for me and hold a, a, a very dear part uh, in my own life and my family's life. And so... Uh, we're so grateful, I'm so grateful to be able to come back and, and to share with you. Dave Anderson and I were talking on the way down here. He was thanking me for coming to serve. And I was like, listen, man, any opportunity that I can have to come and share with you and to serve you in any form or fashion, I want to be first in, in line. So thank you so much for allowing uh, me to come and, and share. And it's so good to see so many of you. Uh, we pray for you. We, we thank you for uh, the support that you give me and my wife. Uh, both prayerfully and financially, but also the support uh, that you give the students and the staff here. It means so much to us. We, we don't take that for granted at all. Well, this morning, uh, if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 10. 
We're going to be looking at verses 38 through 42. It's a familiar passage. But to lead into our time while you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever shown up anywhere without the thing that's most needful in the moment? I know you have, and it would probably be a lot of fun to go around the room and to find out what some of those uh, times were. I'll give you an example. I was supposed to eat lunch with a guy this past week. I had done something for him. He, um, he wanted to uh, pay me back. So he's been talking about it all year. It's like, man, I really want to take you out for a big steak dinner. You choose the restaurant. We're going to get some big old T-bones and, and that kind of thing. And, and so we go to the restaurant. I mean, we've been talking about this for nine months. We finally show up to the restaurant, get about halfway through the meal. I could tell something's bothering him. He's anxious about something. So I was like, man, what's going on? He said, hey, I completely forgot to bring my wallet. Could you kind of pick up the tab? I was like, what? No, he's a, he's a good guy, but he showed up without the most needful thing. I remember when we were first starting the ministry over here, I was trying to build relationships. I was hanging out over at the fitness center on campus, and uh and, of course, I'm trying to get back into weightlifting and playing basketball with the guys and stuff like that. And I show up to the gym one day, and uh, I'm uh, with a buddy that I'd met, and I'm, I'm taking off my, my warm-ups. And, and he stopped me it's just as I'm about to step out of the first leg. He's like, man, you might want to put those back on. I was like, what's the deal? It's like, you're not wearing any shorts. It's like, okay, that could have been a problem. That's not really going to help us start our ministry on campus. Um, that would have been bad. I, I didn't show up with one of the most needful things. And, and you guys can think of things. You probably have showed up to a class without the paper. Uh, my 14-year-old, uh, who's just moving out of this stage, but he was notorious for the last year for not showing up, having brushed his teeth and put on deodorant and, and things like that. All that's changing now. He's actually parting his hair, doing all kinds of crazy things like that. But it's important to show up with the most needful thing. And that's what this story is about. As we look at Mary and Martha, this is a classic story of two people who have gathered together in a specific setting here with Jesus. But as you, you begin to realize as the story unfolds, one of them is really unprepared. And it's not the likely candidate. It's actually Martha. You're going to find this out. She shows up. She's the one that's probably very competent, knows how to set goals, knows how to create a to-do list, knows how to pull an event like she's about to, like we're about to look at. She knows how to pull that kind of thing off. She's there with her, Mary, with her sister Mary, who she's in contrast with, who is just sitting at the feet of Jesus, just enjoying Jesus. And probably on the surface, she looks like a typical younger sibling. I'm, the, I'm an oldest sibling, so I could probably, that's kind of how you oldest siblings think. And, uh, and, the, and the youngest sibling is probably looking at, at Martha. It's like, man, get over yourself, Martha. You know, the world's going to keep on going without you and, and that kind of thing. But, but Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And what you gather as you look at this is she's just enjoying the presence of Jesus Christ. She's not so focused on doing, she's focused on being. Let's look at the story more deeply. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him, him being Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. 
But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen a good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Listen, let's, let's unpack this, the context of this a, a little bit. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. It looks like he has his 12 disciples with him, so he's got about 13 men, and they show up to their good friend's house. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. It's Martha's house, and Martha, being the kind-hearted servant of the Lord, she invites these 13 hungry men into her house. She's being very hospitable. As a matter of fact, it says here that she welcomed them into her house. I'm sure she has great intentions. And we would just imagine she's, she's busy probably preparing something to eat for them while they're reclining and talking and things like that. Well, during the meantime... Looks like her younger sister, Mary, is just sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, you can almost read Martha's mind being the older sister and being frantic in the kitchen trying to get everything prepared right now. You don't have to think long about what she's thinking because she actually comes out and she lets you know what she's thinking. As a matter of fact, she comes out at Jesus. Here's what she says. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? The ultimate pity party is started. Tell her then to help me. And Jesus responds and he gives her some perspective about her own issues here in the process. And, and there's a lot to learn from this passage. And let me just say this. You can see that the title of our sermon here is the main thing. And you know what the main thing is. The main thing is your relationship with Jesus Christ. The main thing is is spending time with the Lord in such a way that you become intimate with Him, that you literally go through life and you're practicing the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're walking in intimacy with Him. But the big idea, here's the thing that we want to talk about this morning, and I'll say it like this, is that the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Here's the question. How do you keep the main thing? The main thing. If the main thing is our intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ, how do you keep the main thing the main thing? I think this passage here is super instructive about that. How do we keep the main thing the main thing? Let me give you three things that we're going to look at just to let you know where we're going. First of all, Jesus addresses, we, we see here in this passage, the, the motivation for the main thing. The second thing that we're going to look at is the disconnect from the main thing. And the third thing is the devotion to the main thing. In the motivation for the, the main thing, we're going to look at some comments that Jesus made about why we should be motivated to spend time with Him. He gives us three reasons in this passage. The second thing, though, is that we need to, we need to talk about our disconnect with Jesus we are so easily, we move out of communion with Jesus Christ. And sometimes we don't even realize that that has happened. And so I think what we see here in Martha's life is we see some indicators that she's out of communion with the Lord Jesus Christ and she needs to do something about it here. But then the third thing, it's not just enough to avoid getting out of communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to have habits. We need to have devotional disciplines in our lives that help us cultivate a lifestyle that is practicing the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at the first one here. Let's look at the motivation for the main thing. He gives us three reasons here for intimate communication with the Lord. Number one, it's the one thing that's necessary. Jesus says it right here 
in verse 42. One thing is necessary, Martha. It's foolish to approach the Christian life apart from Christ. It's actually impossible to live the Christian life apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Many times the way we approach our relationship with Jesus Christ is if it's optional. It's something that would be helpful during the week. Having a quiet time, spending a little time with with Jesus. But that's not what he's trying to communicate here. The main thing is necessary. Our relationship with Christ, we can't live the Christian life without communion with Christ, no matter how hard we try. That's why Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. And it's important that we have to remember that. When we get this confused, when we think that we're the vine and we're the branches, we see it a direct relation to it in our communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the vine, I'm the source for your life. You are the branches. Remember that. You won't find life unless you're communing, abiding with the vine. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Now listen to this. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's hard for us to hear. And many times it's not the way, it's not very reflective of the way we live our lives. We live our lives many times. It's like, no, I can, I can, I can do my life and add a little intimacy with Jesus on the backswing. That's just the opposite of what we see here in this passage. Unless we abide in Jesus Christ, apart from Him, it's nothing. We can't do anything. So, the problem with Martha here, the challenge for Martha, is that she's been deceived and that she, into thinking that she can do the Christian life apart from the one thing that is necessary. And that's her intimacy, her communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a second motivation that, that Jesus gives here in this reproof. He says, it's the one thing that will satisfy. Here's what he actually says. He says, Mary has chosen the good portion. That word portion is a word that's used a lot in the Old Testament. And, and really, it just means it's your lot. And so if you're sitting down to Thanksgiving you know, if you're like me, you want a very healthy portion of everything we have to offer. And so when she says there that Mary has chosen the better portion, what is she talking about? Well, I, let me go back to a passage that many of us are familiar with. It's one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 73. And here's what the writer of the psalms is doing. He's representing Israel, the children of Israel, and here's what he's saying. I'm looking around at all these other pagan nations, and they seem to be affluent. They seem to be rich. It, it seems like their lives don't have a lot of problems. They're rich. They're sleek. They're fat. They, they, are, they are living lifestyles that is, is of extravagance. And as a matter of fact, they look at us. They look down at us. They're prideful. They're arrogant. And they don't even follow God. And here's what the psalmist admits in the process. He says, man, I started dwelling on that, and I became angry and mad. And you know what? almost slipped into doubting what I'm giving my life to. And he says, and then I came into the house of the Lord. And he realized they're in. And here's what he says here in that psalm. Here's how he responds. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. When Jesus says that Mary has chosen the good portion, here's what he's saying. Mary has chosen 
that which is more satisfying and more fulfilling than anything that this life has to offer. She has chosen that which will not disappoint. She's done more than just chosen food that will satisfy her physical appetite. She's chosen living food, living bread that will fill her soul. She's done more than just quenched her thirst with regular water. She has quenched her thirst with living water, and her soul has absorbed it in to the point that out of her is flowing rivers of living water. What she's saying is, is that Jesus is enough. Jesus is all that she needs. She has chosen that which satisfies, that which will not disappoint, that will, that will fill our souls and overflow to other people. Martha, on the other hand, has been deceived into thinking that she could be satisfied by merely serving or bringing out the, the most perfect event instead of the Lord Jesus Christ. She has settled for a lesser portion, a substitute that will not ultimately satisfy. So, Jesus said that this main thing, our communion with Christ, is the one thing that's necessary. It's the one thing that will satisfy. But also, we see here <coughs> that it's the one thing that will not be taken away. Jesus tells Martha about Jesus. She's chosen the good portion, and that will not be taken away from her. Why would he say that? Because Martha, or I'm sorry, Mary is devoting herself to the one thing in this life that cannot be taken away from her, her relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's what she's doing. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus, and she is basking in the glow and love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing can be greater than to experience the perfect, invincible, complete, unconditional love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 8. He really hits this hard. As a matter of fact, he puts it in the, as a question. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That would be a big deal. If we could be separated from the love of Christ, wow, we really got to think about what we're giving our lives to. And he goes into this litany of troubles that could possibly, in our minds, separate us from the love of Christ. Here's what he says. He says, shall, shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Listen to what he says. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any else, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Here's what he's trying to say. Is that in our communion with Christ, we get to, to experience a love that radically changes our life. And it will never be taken away from you. But Paul is writing to people who's, who's enduring a lot of persecution, things like tribulation and distress. And, 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 and these people are thinking to themselves, it's like, what if in my tribulation I lose my strength to worship you? What if in my, in my famine I lose my health? What if in my distress 
I lose my sanity. What if in persecution I lose my family members? What if I lose my job? What if in nakedness I lose my dignity? What if in danger I no longer have safety? What if I lose my life? Listen, all of those things can be taken away, but here's what he's saying. But nobody, nobody can take away the love of Christ from you. It's secure. See, everything in this life is fragile except for the love of Christ. Everything in this life is fragile except for the love of Christ. And Mary has chosen that which will not be taken away from her and that which will make her more than a conqueror if everything is taken away from her. It's the love of Christ. Martha has been deceived into believing that she's in control of her life instead of Christ. She's not acknowledging her own frailty and need for the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, she thinks that she can tell Jesus she knows better about what's going on than Jesus does. You know, years ago, right after I graduated from college, I, I went through a real hard time my first year right out of college. And, and part of the reason it was so hard is because I, I, I felt like the Lord just stripped me of so many things that had been a part of my life. When I graduated, so moved on, you know, and, and that's always a, a normal transition, but hard. Uh, I didn't have a job right off the bat. I didn't have any money. Um, I broken up with my girlfriend. My parents moved away. We had always lived in Alabama, and then they moved. The same month I graduated from college, they moved to North Carolina. I ended up coming on staff of Campus Outreach. I didn't have any support raised. They sent me to this campus without a place to live. So literally, kind of the way every day went is I would... I would, uh, I would literally share Christ with students over in the dormitory, and then I'd say, hey, would you mind if I slept on your floor tonight? And I lived like that for almost a year. It was a challenging year. And I, and I remember that I was laying in somebody else's dorm room one night. They were gracious enough to give me a bed. And uh, it was about 2 a.m. in the morning, and I had been talking with people who didn't want to hear about Christ all day long, and I was just literally feeling, you know, just, you know, barren. And as I laid there, all of a sudden, somebody came up and started knocking and banging on my door and going crazy. And I ran out on the other side, and, and I realized that this guy had taken some bad drugs, and he had gone off the deep end, and he, he had come to my door for all reasons, for whatever reason, I don't know, and just was beating his head. And he was laying there, knocked out on the floor with his head all bloody, and we helped him and got an ambulance coming. And I, I just went back in there, and I started writing in my journal about all the things that were no longer a part of my life. And then I got down to the bottom. And I just drew a line, and the sum total of all that is what I had left was my relationship with Jesus Christ. And you know what? Many of you are probably going through something right now, and the Lord is stripping you. He's taking things out of your life that are important things, but it hurts so badly. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your parents are getting older. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you've had a, a cut in your salary. Or maybe one of your, your children, you, you feel like you're so disconnected from that child right now. And all these things weigh so heavily. And, and, you, and you just, what are you doing, Lord? Let me suggest to you that one of the things that he's bringing you to is this idea that, man, the Lord Jesus Christ is ultimately the one thing that can't be taken away from you. 
He's bringing things into our lives all the time that intensifies our relationship and our communion with Him in such a way that He really does become for us all that we need. And that we become satisfied in Him and Him alone. Well, there's plenty of motivation here in this passage. It's just the one thing that is necessary. It's the one thing that will satisfy. It's the one thing that won't be taken away. But, but we know that our hearts are prone to be disconnected from the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and this is what I see here as we move back up the passage in, in backwards form with, with Martha. And I, I think one of the things that's important for us to see with Martha here and grateful, don't want to throw Martha on the bus. Listen, Martha probably more reflects most of us than, than Mary does. But there's a couple of things that I think we can notice. It's important to know when you get out of communion with the Lord, when you're just trusting in your own strength, when you're relying in your own will. Well, there's some indicators here that I think the Scripture teaches us. Let's look at some of those real quick. Some indicators of disconnect. The first one is this. We see that Martha is overwhelmed and anxious, being consumed by many things. This is just the opposite of what Jesus says. Jesus said one thing is necessary, but Martha is consumed by everything. She's fragmented. She's restless. She's lost focus. <laughs> That's probably a hard thing for Martha. She's probably a very focused person. She can't stop the frenzy, and she can't get out of the river of busyness. you ever feel like that? With this word right here, anxious, in this passage, you know what it actually means? It means that you're torn internally by several things. In other words, you're, you're torn by this. I need to be doing this. I should be doing this. I'm not doing enough with this. And you're torn by everything. And this, this huge flow of anxiety comes all the way up, and it just feels like, man, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make my head explode. Let me just say, here's one of the things that happens when we get to that state. You may be in that state right now. Here's one of the things that happens. Secondary things become primary when we get like that. Here's what I mean. Let me give you a couple of examples. We're living with our spouse, but we're not cultivating a marriage. We're taking care of our house, but we're not building a home. We come to church and we sing songs, but we're not really worshiping. We are doing things for the Lord, and yet there's no real joy. Martha is serving the Lord Jesus Christ, but she's mad, she's angry, she's anxious. What happens is when we get into that state, we become, we start to give our lives to all the secondary things, and, and many times we get caught up in image management, just doing the things that, that fit the approval of other people rather than really singing songs with a heart full of worship and overflow to the Lord. Secondary things become primary. Number two indicator is that she is angry and frustrated, alienating those around her. So if the first one is more internal and it just comes out, the second one is the display of what it happens when it hits relationships. She's angry and she's frustrated with everybody around us. She's contentious, she's demanding, she has a sour attitude, and you know what? There's a tinge of self-righteousness there. You can almost kind of see Martha, she's got her hand on her hip. And ultimately, you know what she's become in this passage? She's become a martyr. 
Look at what I'm doing for all of y'all. Look at what's happened here. Here's a question. If she was my sister, and my sister had been known to go round and round, probably like you and your sisters or brothers and siblings, you know, I'd be like, what is your problem, Martha? Get over yourself, girl. What's going on? What are you so angry about? And you could ask that question here. Why is she so angry? I think there's a lot more going on. Here's what I think is really happening here. This is why she's angry, and, and I think it's her identity is threatened. You see, Martha probably, she has the gift of hospitality. This is her thing. This is what she does. She knows how to organize big groups of people. She knows how to pull it together. You know, anybody who didn't have this gift probably wouldn't have volunteered for this. But she's good at it. And so she came into this thing. She's, you know, she's clicking off her to-do list. She's getting things organized. She has the perfect scenario that she wants to play out, and it doesn't seem like everything is cooperating or falling into place. And doggone it, now I'm angry, and everybody's going to pay for it. Here's what's happened. I think her identity is wrapped up in this event. You know, one of the, the places that most of us end up putting most of our significance and security an identity other than Jesus Christ, we put it in the things that we're good at. Some people, for the, the affluent person, he might put his confidence in, in his money. Some who are intellectual might put their confidence in, in, in their intellect. Some people with a great personality might put all their confidence in, in that. And then when something happens where you're about to fail in the thing that you're good at, what happens? You become defensive. We start to draw lines and boundaries. It's like, hey, you can mess with a lot of things, but don't mess with this. This is what I do. This is what? Who I am. Mary is not confused on that. Her identity seems to be absorbed from who she is in Christ and sitting before the Lord. There's a third indicator here. And that is that she's become isolated and self-absorbed, losing all perspective. Look at what she says here. Notice the words very careful. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? I'm alone in this. She's exhausted. She comes into this thing. She's so frustrated at this point that she's just blaming her sister. She feels alone. Nobody understands. She's having a self-pity party. She's moved from martyrdom now to I'm just a victim to everybody's desires. And nobody told her to serve in the kitchen. Nobody told her that she has a... Listen, what has, what has happened here is that she has moved into an area of, of what we would call burnout. Instead of what started out as something that she's going to freely give to everyone, now it feels like to Martha that people are just taking from her. Everybody feels like parasites around her. They're just taken. And that's what happens when our communion with the Lord becomes evaporated. We feel isolated and self-absorbed. Ministry becomes about people taking from you rather than you out of the overflow of your life giving to other people. And here's what she does as a result. She says, Lord, do you not care? Do you, you see where a lack of communion will take you with the Lord? 
she has lost all perspective. This is the most caring one in the universe that's ever lived in the history of mankind. This is the one that defines caring. This is the one that would ultimately care so much that he would sacrifice his whole life. And she's gotten to a point where she's so far from the Lord, she questions whether or not he even cares. But really, what has happened here is she has just become self-absorbed. What started out as an event for Jesus Christ and his disciples has become all about Martha now. Now, Here's the question. Those are some indicators. What is the source of her problem? Obviously, communion with, with Christ is, is the problem, but, but, but what knocked her out of communion with Christ? Well, the passage tells us here, what does it say? It says, but Martha was distracted. She was distracted apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, and she was distracted by serving. The very good thing has become a problem now. Distraction is a huge thing. Listen, we live in a world full of distractions, but this is not a new problem. We just have new devices of distraction, but distraction was a problem even back then, even before the internet, even before computers, even before smartphones. Distraction was a problem. You know, it's interesting. I, I love watching college basketball and uh, always enjoy watching, you know, when, when a couple of teams are playing and they're showing the, uh, the guy shooting the free throws and, and what's going on behind the goal. And everybody's got their stuff and acting crazy. Well, our, you know, Arizona State has taken this to a whole new level. You ought to go and look it up sometime. But they have what is called, they have created the curtain of distraction. And basically what they do is every game, they, uh, they've got the guy shooting the free throw. And just as the, the referee is handing the ball, they pull back this curtain in the student section and, you know, I don't know, some overweight uh, male wearing nothing but a Speedo jumps out and starts dancing. It's like, okay, what can be, if, you know, if, if the guy doesn't throw up uh, first, he's probably going to miss his free throw. And, and, and they just, one creative thing after another, it's like they're just coming up with ways to beat each other at distracting. And it's interesting, the statistics actually show that it actually works that they've actually had a lot of success. Everybody shoots a lesser free throw percentage because, man, right when you're about to, something's about to jump out at you that's really ugly and, uh, and make you distracted. Listen, you and I are living in a world of curtain of distractions. Everywhere you go. And they're helpful tools. Our phones, they're, they're, they are helpful tools, but many times... They master us. I, you know, think about it like this. How hard it is just to go for five minutes without looking at your phone. Listen, there's more, too, that's going on. We're finding life in addiction. We're, we're finding emotional life from our phones. It's more than just a habit. It's like there's, we're drawing emotional strength. And this is part of what Jesus is saying here. Is that's a problem. We end up becoming isolated and self-absorbed. We become distracted in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, those are some indicators. Let's talk about some things that we can do, that we can learn from this passage from Mary in particular, about our devotion. How can we cultivate intimacy and carry this with us in our day-to-day 
activities. There are several things, just observations that I want to make about Mary in particular as she sits at the feet of Jesus. Number one, she's being still before Jesus. Mary is seating, sitting. What is the significance of being still? It is not that she's simply being calm or quiet, but that she's laying down her frantic activity. Here's the idea here. To be still, you have to see striving. And many times, what we find is that, you know, God has to incapacitate us to help us learn this one. I hate it, but probably the, the time I've learned it more than any other is when I got put in the hospital for 40 days. It's like, man, if you won't be still, if you won't see striving, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you in a hospital bed for 40 days. You know what? I learned a lot about myself, and I learned a lot about God. As a matter of fact, it sounds much like this. What I learned sounds just like Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. There's two things that when we are still, when we see striving, that we can learn based on this passage here. One, being still enables me to know that God is God, and He doesn't need me. The second thing that it helps me understand about myself is that not only is God God, but being still enables me to know that I am not God. This means that I'm not Superman. I can't do everything. I'll never get to the end of my to-do list. When you get to the end of your to-do list, guess what? You're already dead. That's, the, that's when all the to-dos cease. You're in the grave. They're never going to end. What Jesus is trying to communicate to us is that we need to stop, cease striving, and know that God doesn't need us. He wants to use us. He loves using your abilities. He gave them to you. He gave you those wonderful gifts, but He doesn't need them. He's not bound to those things. And Martha has been deceived into thinking that the Lord's kingdom can't go on without her. <coughs> In Memphis right now, this is leaf season. And I'm sure, you know, there's plenty of leaves around here to rape. But my house in particular, let me just let you feel sorry for me for a second. We usually get about 150 bags of leaves out of our yard a year. And I'm down two workers. Two of my older kids have gone off to college. So I'm just down to the eighth grader now. And, uh, and it's getting a little bit overwhelming. And yesterday, we were driving by. We were driving into the neighborhood knowing what we're going to be facing for the next couple of weeks. And, uh, and, and, and our neighbor has done the unbelievable atrocity. He has paid someone to take care of his leaves. And, and here's what he's done. It's like they have blown, these guys have blown all the leaves out to the street. And this guy with this huge vacuum cleaner connected to this truck is just sucking them up. I mean, I'm thinking, that's two weeks worth of work, what he just did in ten minutes. When you stop and you're still, you realize that in your relationship with God, your posture before Him needs to be just like the raking illustration there. Listen, you know, nobody's going to stand up. If I had the opportunity to have that vacuum, you think it's like, no, I'd rather do my rake. I'd rather do the bags here. You know, I got this. You know, no, you'd be an idiot. You have to stop there. It's like, well, in some ways, this is exactly the way we 
many of us approach our lives. It's like, Lord, I know that you have all this power. I know that you can take care of it, but I'm so frantic doing, I'm so frantic, I didn't even realize there was a vacuum cleaner around me that could just suck these things up in five minutes. And so we get caught up in the frenzy of dealing with our own anxieties. Martha is striving. Working, of course, is not wrong, but working and neglecting to to acknowledge that the Lord doesn't need you and that you're not in control of all these problems is the problem. Here's the second thing here that we see about Mary is that she's humbly submitting herself to the Lord Jesus. She's not only sitting, she's sitting at the Lord's feet. This reminds me of 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. How do you do that? How do you humble yourself? He gives you the answer in verse 7. He says, casting all your anxieties upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. This is just the opposite of what Martha is dealing with. It's like, man, Jesus cares for you so much. He's not indifferent about your cares and your concerns. He's inviting you. And so what he's calling us to do here is cast all your anxieties before him. Listen, many of us have real concerns. I'm not trying to minimize anybody's concerns here, but there is a difference between a concern and a worry, and I wish we had more time to talk about that. This is a sub-theme here in this passage, but here's the, here's the difference between a concern. A concern is, is, is something that's important to God as well. Here's the difference when it becomes worry is that when we try to control the outcome of whatever's going on with this concern, when we think that we ultimately drive the results of what's happening here, that's when it becomes anxious and worried. That's why we swell up inside of us is because we're trying to do something in our life through our own will, through our own actions that only God could bring about in his heart. And we become anxious. Because there's this dissonance between what it's going to take to make all this happen and our limited, little, feeble efforts. What do we do with those things? We submit them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice here that he doesn't just use any language. He says to cast your anxieties upon Jesus Christ. In other words, get out of bed and cast them. Listen, I don't know if you're like me, but the moment my eyes pop open, My life floods with all kinds of thoughts and to-dos and things I'm supposed to do today. And I've just gotten in the habit of doing this. I'll just stop for five minutes right there. And everything that floods my mind, I just cast it to the Lord. Say, Lord, this is a problem. You've got to do something about this because I can't. Lord, this is your, would you take this? And you know what the scriptures say is that he actively is involved in taking those on. Here's the third one. We learn from Jesus. She's sitting there and she's, she's learning from Jesus. It, Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Martha qualifies. Are you heavy laden? Are you burdened? She absolutely is. I will give you rest. Uh, apparently Mary has found this out. That's why she's sitting at the feet. It's like, Martha, this is so good. I'm sure Mary is a sinful person just like Martha, and there are times where she's carrying her own burdens and dealing with her own toil, but she has found rest at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what Jesus says. Take my yoke upon you. 
and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For many people in the Christian life, it feels like this is wrong. What Jesus is saying is a crock here. Because we find the Christian life very burdensome, very heavy, heavy, very, very not so joy-filled. But what Christ is saying is that, no, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why? Because I am gentle and I am humble at heart. And in my presence, you will find rest for your souls. You see what he's trying to say here? Is look, all those anxieties, all of those things that are weighting you down and burdening you, they are attacking your soul. They're harsh on your life. So quit trying to, to deal with those. Bring them to me. You could contrast this with the other passage. Here's what we do a lot of times. Jesus said to cast all our anxieties and take his yoke upon us. We do just the opposite. We take up the yoke of anxiety and we put it on our shoulders and we cast away his love, his humility, and his grace. He offers it there for us. We can learn from Jesus. And finally, we delight in Jesus. Here's the thing I love about Mary in this passage. It just seems like she's just absorbed in Jesus. She's just enjoying who he is. You know, what, what strikes me so much about this passage is that, is that she just is adoring Jesus for who he is. That's something that has to be cultivated. Most of the time, we appreciate and love and adore Jesus for what he does for us. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's just incomplete. Part of where Jesus wants to take us in our relationship is not just being excited about what he can do for us, which I've been for the last 30 minutes talking about what he can do for you, but learning to come to the point in our relationship with Christ where we just bask in the glow, in the wonder and beauty of who he is. Several years ago, I remember right after we started the ministry over here at CMO, it was snowing outside the fitness center, and I was walking out. I was really excited being a southern boy. I love it when it snows here and was all excited when we lived here because it seemed like it snowed all the time, and I'd never been around snow. And, but as I was walking around the corner over to my car, I noticed that there was this couple. Now, it was frigid. It was in the 20s, and the snow was already coming down. There's probably three or four inches already on the ground. And I noticed right up there, they had found this couple had found a little perch right up there by the Coliseum. And they're just sitting there. And I don't know how long they had been sitting there, but the snow was accumulating on their bodies. And they were just sitting there, warmed in the basket of each other's love, just looking into each other's eyes. They were completely oblivious to what was going on around them. This is the way I want my relationship with Christ to look like. I want to be so captivated by His glory and His beauty that the thought of being distracted by inches of snow and cold weather around me would just not even show up on my radar. We delight in the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we get to this point? Let me just share a closing little story. There was a story 
I heard one time about a professor. He had before his class, they, they were having a lab. He brought, brings out this big, large glass beaker, and he says, he sits it before his class. He says, class, we're going to learn a lesson about life today. And he takes several large rocks out, and he puts them in this beaker, and he says, I want you to tell me when this beaker is full. And he fills up the beaker. And they're like, okay, it's full. He says, I don't think so. And he takes out a bag of pea gravel. And he pours it in and he shakes it down a little bit and gets it in between those big rocks. And, he, and he gets, he's like, tell me when it's full. And they get it full and he's like, I don't think so. He takes out a bag of sand, which is just crushed rock now. And he pours it in and he shakes it a little bit and he pours a little bit more in and he shakes it a little bit, pours a little water and it seeps down to the bottom and he puts a little bit more in. And, and finally, it gets to where it's full and he says this. He says, what do we learn from this? What, do you, what can you tell us that we learn from this little display here? And one student raises his hands, he says, how to get more in your life? He said, no. The trick here is to get the big rocks in first. When it comes to the main thing, it's the big rocks. When it comes to your schedule, you've got to get the big rock, the main thing in your life first. Think about your life this week. If the big rock is your communion with Jesus Christ, and you want to get that in your life, in your schedule first, how will that change the way you plan your time this week? How will that change the way you wake up? Could that change the way you go to bed? Could that change the way you spend your, your, your lunch tomorrow? Getting the big rocks in first. Listen, we've already said that our relationship with Jesus Christ is the one thing that is necessary. Get it in first and enjoy the gentleness and the humility of Jesus Christ as you walk in his presence. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this story, Lord, where we see really reflections of, of our lives. We, we realize that this story reflects two different approaches to the Christian life. And, and Lord, we want to be like Mary. We want to learn to, to, to delight and to sit in submission at your feet and to carry that presence with us day in and day out. Lord, would you lead us and guide us. Give us a heart to know you. Lord, where we are being distracted Lord, would you help us to see those things? Help us to, to, to pay attention to the indicators in our lives, the anger and the frustration and the annoyance and the overwhelmingness, that, the loss of joy. Lord, all of those things are pointing towards the fact that we have severed intimacy with you. Lord, help us to confess those things, repent, and be restored in our intimacy with you. Lord, would you fill us with your spirit? Would you bear fruit through our lives? In Jesus' name, amen.